good evening, everyone. We'd like to welcome you to a special Good Friday service here at Capstone Church. We have been talking about the crucifixion of Jesus in our podcast called Fringes of the Faith. And we'd like to continue that discussion tonight, specifically talking about the crucifixion itself. I'm Pastor Paul Henderson. I'm the administrative pastor here at Capstone Church, and joining me is Pastor Parky Coburn, senior pastor. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Well, this week on Fringes of the Faith, like I said, we've been talking about the physical and the emotional effects that Holy Week had on Jesus, on his human body. We've talked about his betrayal at the Last Supper and into the Garden of Gethsemane. We've talked about the trial, kangaroo court trial, mm-hmm. in front of Caiaphas. And then he was delivered over to Pontius Pilate. Uh, eventually, Pilate ordered his scourging, a severe scourging. After that, we looked at the crown of thorns and the effects that that had on Jesus' body. And then we talked a little bit about the road to Golgotha and about the cross and and the trek that he was forced to make to Calvary. And if you miss it, you can can watch, you can listen to it on on our YouTube channel. We're on Spotify as well and on our website, capstone.church forward slash podcast. But before we we start off tonight, Pastor Parkey, would would you pray? Yes, Let's, let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight on this um, very special night of remembrance. Jesus said on the night that he took communion with his disciples, which was the last time we were together as a corporate body. He said, every time you do this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Tonight we come to remember. And Father, we thank you for everything that you have done. And Lord, we pray tonight that you would open our eyes and open our spiritual ears. And God, I pray for a Holy Spirit expansion to happen inside of us. That our tent cords would be lengthened and that Lord, you would uh, fill us with all the fullness of Christ. We give you all the praise and the glory. Let's just begin to thank him, everyone. Father, we give you the praise. We give you the praise. There's no one like you, Lord. Tonight, we are reminded that there's no one like you, Father. We give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So tonight, we're going to talk about the crucifixion. We're going to talk about some details. Um, that we don't often really have a lot of time to talk about during a normal service. So are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Let me ask you a question, though. Um, it's, it's called Good Friday. Mm-hmm. What, why is it called Good Friday? What's good about this day? Well, when you think about it uh, from the standpoint of Jesus, uh, I think the only thing that was really good was uh, when he was able to say it's finished. <laughs> And able to say that it, it, it was over, that he had done everything that his father had sent him to do. But for us, all of us that are sitting here in this room, 
even though we're reminded of the brutality and the, and the pain and the heartache, uh, we're also reminded of the fact that all of that was done uh, to bring us good. And so for us that are sitting in this room, it is good. Amen. So I'd like to ask everyone to do, um, unless you're listening to this and you're driving, I would like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. And let's visualize Jesus laying naked in the dirt. His wounds are open. They're bleeding from the ripping of his garments off of, off of his blood-soaked body. The cap of thorns is still lodged deep under the skin of his scalp. And as the Roman soldiers grab the hammer and the nails, all eyes are now on Jesus some hoping that he would rescue himself and reveal himself as the Messiah, and others wondering if he was even still alive. You know, the Bible talks about how marred his body was, and unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, as the uh, prophet Isaiah began to foresee down through down through the years, through by the power of the Holy Spirit, he began to foresee uh, those events that were going to take place, I guess, 700 years later. Uh, he said that he would be, his visage would be marred more than any man. And, and that, uh, that he, at this point in time, we talked about this a few days ago, but can you imagine those that knew him, that walked with him, that were uh, with him on a day-by-day basis to see him now uh, must have been uh, must have been a real shock to them yeah um, i just can't imagine what they must have been thinking all along walking with the messiah and then seeing him in that condition certainly a shock to their system and you know the other thing too that we can think about is think about it's this is an everyday occurrence for the romans crucifixions were nothing special for the romans jesus wasn't the only person crucified the two thieves next to him were not the only people crucified. Crucifixion was a form of capital punishment. As a matter of fact, the Romans didn't even invent it. It'd been, it'd been around for a long, long time, from the Persians to the Assyrians. But you can just picture right now at this moment that the Romans, they're talking about what they're going to be doing when they get off duty. I mean, this is another day for them. Some will probably go to a local pub. Uh, others will go on to their temples and perhaps see you know, one of the cult prostitutes. I mean, that was the life in a day for the Romans, for the centurions. And so to them, yeah, this is another day. But to us, this is a good Friday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even those Roman soldiers themselves, as they went through the process of the crucifixion of Jesus, there were some things that happened on uh at that place that day that were very unusual that caused them, even when they walked away, I'm sure to remember this was not any ordinary day. That's right. Um, crucifixion was the, uh, is akin to capital punishment mm-hmm. here, execution, uh, the death penalty it was reserved for murderers, for traitors, for rebels, for religious agitators, for pirates and others who had basically no rights, no rights. According to the historian Flavius Josephus, there were approximately 500 prisoners, Jewish prisoners, that were crucified per day. 
under the Emperor Titus. This is during the siege of Jerusalem, as you know. Jerusalem fell in A.D. 70. 500 a day. Think about that. So what did the crucifixions look like during the days of Jesus? We're going to talk a little bit about what did the actual cross look like. Because we have our cross that, that we see here on our platform. And this is called a cross capitata. This is the conventional cross. More than likely, the cross that they used would have been a crux camisa, which is a tau cross. It's a Middle Eastern cross. So what you would have to do is imagine this top part of the cross not being there, and it would just look like a giant T. The upright part, the part that goes vertical, is called the staticulum. And notice it's static, static staticulum. That means it was permanently affixed into the ground. They did hundreds of these things, so they didn't have time to have people carrying the entire cross to the place where they would be crucified. So these were already in the ground. They usually posted outside the city limits, usually next to a main thoroughfare, because they're sending a message. They're sending a message that we, whatever you do, you don't cross the Roman government. You don't break Roman law. It's brutal. The height of the staticulum, or the post, if you will, that sunk into the ground, would have been about seven or seven and a half feet tall. The one that we have tonight is roughly, uh, I'd say it's about eight, eight and a half feet tall without the top part on it. The top part is about two feet tall, so that's about ten and a half feet tall. But the T part, pretty close to being what you would have seen. Roman nails were used to affix a person's hands and feet to the cross, and they were made of iron. And they were about three to four inches long. Um, We'll talk a little bit about that next, uh, but can you, what are your thoughts when, when, you, when you look at that wooden post? Well, you know, <laughs> scary uh, to think that a human, that was used to crucify a human, that a human was going to be attached to that. that um, one of the things that I think about uh, and can't help but think about is, um, you know, all of, all through the years, the Jews uh, had uh, sacrificed to their God all through the years. And uh, as I look at this and I, I look at this instrument being the final place where the final sacrifice that, that fulfilled uh, all of the law uh, was was killed, to be honest with you, was just killed there. It, it, it's, it's an amazing thing to me. Um, I think that all of us, when we look at it and really open our mind to it again, you can't be held but blown away by the, just the sheer brutality and you wonder, you know, how can, we, how can humans do this to, to one another? Yeah. yeah. And it all harkens back to the garden if you think about it that way. Mm -hmm. In the garden you had the tree of life, and then you had the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's exactly right. And it took another tree yeah. to bring us back. Yeah, this becomes the tree of life to us, the cross. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the nails in the hands and the feet. Mary, uh, many theories have emerged, citing that Jesus was nailed through his wrists based on the assumption that nailing through the palms would not support the weight of his body. They've even developed a mathematical equation called the tension formula that seemingly supports the conclusion that Jesus had to have been nailed 
through the wrist, in other words, through here. But you and I, we've talked about a risk in nailing someone through the wrist. Mm -hmm. Well, you'd have to be really good at what you were doing. Uh, you could uh, definitely sever, sever those arteries that are in the wrist and potentially bleed the, the criminal out really quickly. If the goal was to see them die, but to see it be agonizing and to take a little bit of time, then you would have to be really careful about where, where you did that, where you put the nail. Exactly. And there are also a couple of other problems when we talk about nailing through the wrist. And first, all throughout scripture, we are told, especially in the Psalms and in the New Testament, that the Messiah's hands would be pierced. His hands would be pierced. Psalm 22 is a perfect description mm -hmm. of the crucifixion of Jesus and how they pierced his hands and feet. Verse 16 specifically says, a pack of villains encircles me. Mm -hmm. They pierce my hands and my feet. In Luke 24, 39, Jesus tells his disciples to look at his hands and his feet to see that it was indeed him standing before them and not a, a ghost. And then John 20, 27, the resurrected Jesus tells doubting Thomas to look at the wounds on his hands. Secondly, the tension formula doesn't take into account any support from the feet. Now, the Romans nailed the feet to the cross, to the staticulum. The tension formula is based solely on free-hanging objects. In other words, you would be nailed and hanging full body weight, whatever your body weight was. But with the support of your feet, albeit sadistically supported through nails in, the, in your heels, that would have taken a lot of that weight off. And they say that being pierced through the hand in between the thumb and the finger the index finger that would give you the ability to support about 60 pounds. And with the heels being nailed to the cross, that would have been about 60 pounds. Plus we don't know, but more than likely he was strapped with ropes around mm -hmm. his arms. Mm -hmm. So a little bit about the forensics behind nailing the hands and the feet in any scenario, whether, whether they're nailed, you know, through the wrist or through the, through the palm, you would hit a median nerve in your hand and the median nerve would call, cause a painful condition that's known as causalgia, if I'm saying that correctly. Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor, I just play one on TV. You're not? Okay. But it would have been causalgia, yeah. causalgia. The pain would have been unbearable and with every movement, shock waves of pain would have just been sent up and down the arms, the feet, the chest, the waist, the back. And victims of Kazalgia mm -hmm. frequently went into shock just from that, mm. just from that. And so at this point, Jesus is nailed to the cross, whether through the wrist or through the hands, it's not that important, um, but it is something to think about. Now the soldiers were ready to affix the feet of Jesus to the post. And unlike the movies and unlike Hollywood and unlike artists' renditions, there was not a footrest on the cross. There was not a footrest on the staticulum, the vertical part. That didn't come along until the 11th century. That's when the footrest showed up in artistic works. And so how they would nail the feet to the cross of their crucifixion victims is they would take one foot, place it on one side of the staticulum, the post, and nail through the heel 
And then they would take the other foot on the other side of the post and nail that one through the heel. The pictures, the artist renditions that you see of the feet on top of one another, that I said, that did not come along until the 11th century. Many excavations have been done that have, that have revealed crucifixions and crucifixion victims. One in particular was done at Givat Hamata excavations and it revealed the skeletal remains of a crucified victim and it supports that the heel would, would have been nailed to the vertical part. So again, driving nails through Jesus' feet would have damaged the plantar nerves. Anybody ever had plantar fasciitis? Painful. Painful. Well, that's the plantar nerve. And so nailing through this heel would have damaged that plantar nerve. And, and that along with the damage in the hands and the, and the median nerve, you can just imagine that every breath that he took, having to arch his back to get a breath, just horrific, horrific pain. You know, I think that one of the things you have to remember with crucifixion is uh, they hung they hung the the victim in such a way to make it hard for them to breathe, and uh, and so they had this sadistic idea that they would allow them the option to be able to raise themselves up where they could where they could breathe when they were slumped down it was it was harder for them to draw a breath you know if that i believe that's correct and so so they gave them this option to be able to push up where they could take a breath but when they pushed up they pushed up on nails that were through their feet and and it was excruciating you know, just to be able to get a breath, you had to choose, do I want to breathe or do my, do I want to feel a, a searing pain in my feet? Right. And either way, you, either way you look at it, that's, <laughs> the pain would have been unbearable. It's hard to even imagine or think about. Yeah, that's good. Some of you out there struggle with your feet. And you know what, Jesus, uh, his feet were, were broken and, uh, and pierced uh, so that yours can be healed. Amen. And so in the first couple of episodes or the first parts of episode one in, in this podcast, we talked a lot about some of the physical and the medical things that were going on in his body. One of those being the condition called the wet lung, um, a partial pneumothorax, collapsed lung, partially collapsed lung through the scourging um, just massive lacerations and, and bleeding. Um, this is after he took the beating from the temple guards um, that beat him and mocked him and said, prophesy, tell us who, who hit you. And you made a really, really good statement. <laughs> you said, I can just imagine the next time. Well, the next time those guys stand before the Lord and, and those words would come back to haunt you, I think. Uh, Hey, I remember you. You're the one who hit me. Yeah. And so uh, you have a lot of this fluid. You know, Jesus would have been dehydrated before he even got to the cross. Um, and you have all of this fluid that has, has been collecting in his chest cavity mm -hmm. from the scourging and just from just the trauma that his body has, has, has taken. And there are many biologists and, and pathologists and, you know, 
forensic pathologists who have attempted to point to a specific cause of death for Jesus. Death from asphyxiation or suffocation from not being able to breathe seems to be the most popular belief. Mm -hmm. That's what seems to be the one that most people point to. There's another one that the cause of death was a heart attack or a ruptured heart diagnosis. And that, you know, most romanticized that as being Jesus died of a broken heart. But what does the Bible say about how Jesus died? John 19, verse 30 says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Yeah, you know, you think about that. Um, here, here Jesus is giving up his life in, in so many, so many ways. He is releasing his deity. He is releasing his power and submitting to what men want to do, to what, what uh, their, the plan is for him. But at the very end, uh, he reveals again that uh, this is not something that man is in control, total control of at all. That Jesus uh, picks the time of his death and uh, he says it is finished and then he gives up the ghost, he dies. And so it was determined that that death process was even that, even that itself was determined by God, was overseen by God. That's right. Um, so the biblical cause is that Jesus, as Lord, mm -hmm. departed this physical realm on his own terms. Mm -hmm. He took control. He has the keys mm -hmm. over death. So he, I like that. I like I like how you how you brought that in, and and, and you 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 brought it to the level of he was in control. And we knew that from, from when uh, Pilate told him, don't you know I have the authority? Yeah, see, the, we all know we talked about the scourging a few days ago. Boy, that was a brutal, brutal thing. That, that was the way the Romans used to break somebody. Uh, they were just going to break them. They were going to break their will. They were going to get them to stop doing what they were doing. They were going to get them to fade back into the background and, and say, boy, that's something I'll never, I never want to experience again. And, uh, and even in the midst of all of that, and, uh, you know, Jesus looked at Pilate and told him, he, he said, you're not in, you're not in total control of this, of this situation here. Uh, he said, you wouldn't even have a part to play in this if it wasn't given to you from above. That's right. All authority mm -hmm. is given from God. So we know that his spirit left his body. Um, then his heart stopped and his physical body expired. We know that his body was expired because the scripture records that the Jews, because of the Sabbath, wanted all of the crucifixion victims dead mm -hmm. um, and removed from the crosses before sundown. And so the soldiers were commanded to break the legs of any surviving victims in order to hasten their demise to bring that process along. But when they arrived at the cross of Jesus, he appeared dead. And I think it took them by surprise a little bit. Well, I, I think so too. Uh, you know, 
actually sometimes crucifixion could take several days uh, before someone would die. And, and the very fact of, of how they decided to hasten death shows you they were not in any hurry to, or they were not in any way trying to stop the cruelty of, of this process. They just wanted to speed it up. If they wanted to stop the suffering, they could have killed these guys right where they were on the cross. But instead, they said, we'll just hasten it, hasten it along. So they broke their legs so that they, it, it just increased the pain and their inability to be able to push up and, and take a breath. So basically they stayed sunken in that sunken position for, for, from that point on and then uh, asphyxiated or their heart just gave out. But when they arrived at Jesus' feet, at, his, at, the, at the cross of Jesus, since he appeared dead, one of the soldiers took a spear mm -hmm. and thrust it into his side in an attempt to elicit a reaction, whether this, you know, is this guy really dead or not? We're going to find out. And so when they did that, of course, there wasn't a response except for the blood and mixed with fluid that came out of his side. Mm -hmm. And most attribute that blood and the water to piercing either a major artery in the chest wall or the periocardial sac, which is a sac that surrounds the heart and, and it contains a lot of uh, fluid. Well, you know, my brother here, he used to be in law enforcement and, and unfortunately many of our law enforcement officers work in the homicide division. And as such, they have to go out to the site of, of deaths and sometimes if someone had been death, dead, and it doesn't even have to be a very long time, Pastor Paul, their blood will begin to separate mm -hmm. from the serum. And the serum uh, can look watery when it, when it comes out. And like you said, it also could have just been uh, a cumulative effect that, that comes, uh, that, that begins to mimic uh, a, a condition where heart uh, water and fluid gathers around the lungs and around the heart. And we know many people that have had that and it's a conditions escaping me right now, the name of it, but effusion. yeah. And so, uh, but they were going to be sure that, uh, he, he was gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they fulfilled prophecy they when did. they did that. Absolutely. Too. Yes, they yeah, did. They did. So Jesus body is now, his body is dead on the cross. And it appears that Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin and the scribes and the religious leaders were successful in stopping the movement that was claiming Jesus was the Messiah. Mm -hmm. It looked that way. Um, we'll never really know. Uh, it would have been fun is what I'm trying to say, I guess, in a, in a weird way, to be able to have seen what was going on in the spirit realm that day, to be able to see the reactions of the demonic kingdom, to be able to, to know what was going on in, in all, all of the realms. But, uh, you know, it, it appeared, and you can tell so by the reaction of the disciples and their sadness that appeared that everything that they had hoped for, everything that Jesus had come to do from their form of thinking had failed. 
How does that apply to to us today when we're when we feel like we're hopeless, when we feel like that hmm. <laughs> that we there's nowhere else to turn? Well, you know, everybody in this place and everybody watching and listening has had twists and turns in life that you didn't anticipate. And and some of those twists and turns can be very ones that are very, very difficult, very, very hard, and and disappointing. Well, this should give you courage because the disciples, there's no way they saw this coming. I mean, this caught them off guard. This was painful to them. This looked like an end, but brothers and sisters, that's all it did. It just looks that way. And your situation and your circumstance that you're going through that seems to come out of nowhere to try to stop what God is doing in your life and bring an end to everything good, it only looks like it's final. It only looks like it's final because we're here on Friday, brothers and sisters, but this isn't the end of the story. There's another day coming. That's right. That's right. So his body is taken off the cross and under Jewish law and tradition, it's purified for burial with aloes and myrrh. Mm -hmm. um, we know that Joseph of Arimathea was a part of that. And so was Nicodemus, which is interesting. Nicodemus being the one that visited him in the middle of the night. At, yeah. Um, to ask him the questions about how, how are you born again? What are you talking about? There just so happens there's a freshly carved out tomb nearby. And after they wrap Jesus in a linen burial cloth, they place his body into this tomb that's carved out of rock, and then they roll a very large stone across the entrance, sealing him in. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of... Um, suspicion here on the part of the Jewish leadership about the possibility of Jesus not being there in the morning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think you can tell by the way that the people reacted that's, that were around the, the cross. Now, here we are at the foot of the cross, all you know, right here tonight. And you can tell by the reactions of the people that are around the foot of the cross that they expected or they wouldn't have been surprised if something wild and crazy would have happened. Let's see if Elijah will come and save him. Don't bother him. You understand what I'm saying? He had done all of these miracles and he had all this power. And so even the, the scribes and the Pharisees, even though they did not want to believe in him, they did not want to because it would take away their position. It would change everything. It would take religion out of their control and put it back in the control of the hands of God. There was still, I think, this fear. And uh, yeah, I believe that the, that the priest probably thought, you know, hey, his disciples are going to come. They're going to take his body in the middle of the night. But it wouldn't surprise me either if they just thought, uh, this guy, we better just make sure. And so they sealed the tomb, the Romans, the, of course, they petitioned the Romans to put guards out and they sealed the tomb. And that's where we ended. We end where the disciples ended on that day, mm -hmm. which is their hope, uh, their dreams, uh, their love, all of that locked uh, in a tomb, in a grave. And there's nothing more final to us in this life than a grave. 
That seems to be the most final thing. And so uh, we being blessed to be believers that are on this side of the resurrection need to go back and we need to think again and, and go back and try to sit in the shoes of those first, first disciples and really begin to try to see things from their perspective and what it might have looked like at the end of Friday or at the end of, of the burial is what I'm trying to say. And so the events of Good Friday, they come to an end. The Passover has been fulfilled and is now very, very real for us. Yeah.